Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Realcom webinar. Today, we will be talking about access control and video monitoring, and it's part three of our next-gen technology series. I'm Sarah Bemperad with Realcom, but before we get started, um, I want to go over a few housekeeping items. You can use the Q&A section um, in the control panel to submit your questions and your comments for the panelists and the moderator, and we'll try to get to all the questions throughout the session. If we don't get back to you today, we'll follow up with you after the event. We are also um, recording the session and we'll be um, making the recording available within the next few days. And you can also download a copy of this presentation deck from the handout section. If you run into any technical issues, you can contact me at sbamperat at realcom.com. We have uh, a number of sponsors for today's event. We have a couple of gold sponsors, Genia and um, Jackson Control. And we will learn more about these companies throughout the session. And our silver sponsor is Building Engines. And we'll take a moment to just hear a brief message from them. Hi, I'm David Osborne. I'm the founder, former CEO, and chairman of Building Engines. Back in 2001, we created the first modern operations management platform for real estate owners, managers, tenants, and vendors. But back when I started this company 20 years ago, real estate was a laggard industry, some 20 years behind any other major industrial space. But thankfully, times have changed and Building Engines has led the way. Building Engines has spent the last three years and tens of millions of dollars redeveloping its core application. We call it PRISM. PRISM is without doubt the most effective modern operations platform in the business. If you're not yet a customer, I look forward to having a conversation with you or having our team demonstrate PRISM. And if you are a customer, thank you for your long-term partnership. In the end, we understand that our success only mirrors your success. So far, it's been going pretty well, and I expect that trend to continue. All right, and with that, I'd like to introduce you to the moderator for today's event, Scott. Um, Scott Collins is EVP at Technology GC. He has over 20 years of industry knowledge and experience in construction project management and building automation. Scott was previously with Bedrock, uh, where he implemented smart and cutting edge technology across the real estate um, enterprise portfolio in downtown Detroit. Scott, thank you very much for moderating, and I'll turn it over to you. Thank you very much, Sarah, and uh, and welcome to the audience. Look forward to uh, to the next hour and a half and uh, diving into this great topic. So uh, just a little bit quick about TechGC. We uh, we work in this space um, to try to pull together all the parts and pieces, uh, heavily focused in the construction space and trying to make uh, tenants and owners' visions and technology a reality. So. So first of all, I want to just dive in and, and again, thank you uh, for Realcom and Sarah for uh, allowing me to, uh, to moderate this event. Uh, over the next 90 minutes, uh, you're going to hear from a few real estate professionals. Uh, we're fortunate to have uh, representatives from Heinz and Maysrich uh, to speak about their experiences in their buildings uh, and then also have technology experts in Genia and Jackson Controls, as well as uh, a special thanks to, uh, to Building Engines for that lead-in video. Um, so we'll sp spend some time hearing from each um, presenter, 
uh, and then we'll spend uh, the balance of the time in questions and answers. So as Sarah mentioned, uh, if there's questions that come up along the way, uh, I will do my very best to try to weave them in uh, to the conversation and, uh, and, and make this a very active uh, participant uh, webinar. So um, also, as Sarah mentioned, uh, this is the third part of the Next Gen Tech, Tech Webinar Series. So if you did miss the part one and part two, uh, I encourage you to go back and take a look. Uh, they were advanced analytics and then digital twin um, recorded previously and certainly available uh, for your viewing. So uh, it's a little bit about kind of cleaning up uh, but as we move forward into uh, access control and video monitoring, um, and it, which is a gateway to connected experience, I think we needed to, um, to kind of take a step back and, and set, this, uh, set this up by saying, you know, historically, uh, we probably have all been in buildings, uh, malls, et cetera, where access control and uh, video monitoring and our vision of that is really that of safety and security. Um, predominantly, it's a static system. Um, many times located on premises, um, so localized systems, um, you know, very specific to buildings and sometimes specific to portfolios, but, but typically with a consistent vendor. Um, also historically, from a privacy and liability perspective, you know, I would say, and at least my, my perspective would be privacy wasn't as big a concern because that data was, was localized. Um, and the liability was was certainly less, and a lot of times uh, systems were used for um, really fact finding after after the fact. So um, pivot to today, and what is safety, security, um, access control? And I think you'll hear from each of these vendors uh, and, and participants to say that safety and security today is becoming that connected experience. It's the informant to another series of events. Um, whether that means, you know, uh, access control is turning on an EMS system or um, whatever that might be, you're now seeing the emergence of systems that are dynamic, that are cloud-hosted and cloud-based, um, and that ultimately um, start to enter into this conversation about what's happening with that data from a security perspective and a liability perspective. How are we looking at people's information moving from system to system? So. Uh, a much more robust uh, outlook on uh, um, access control and video monitoring today. Uh, and then I think the future, um, who's to know where we go, but certainly uh, at, at the speed of which uh, technology is developing, uh, this conversation is here to stay and, and we'll continue to see develop uh, for years to come. So um, that's just a little bit of a lead in and um, I'm excited. Um, for our first uh, presenter, actually. Um, so um, Brian uh, Schwartz is the VP of IT at Macerich. Brian is responsible for smart building infrastructure at over 50 centers portfolio-wide at Macerich. He also supports digital marketing initiatives, including digital signage and property websites. Brian? Thanks, Scott. Thanks. I, I never know if you're over here or over here. Feel like I'm on the Brady Bunch sometimes looking at these, but uh, thank you. Um, so for those of you who don't know who Matrix is, we are a uh, real estate investment trust. We own and manage about 50 por uh, project uh, the, the properties. I think of the word uh, across the port across our portfolio across the uh, United States. Um, and you know my my responsibility is, is 
mainly around the installation and management of the technology at the at the centers. So, like Scott mentioned, the digital directories and shopper counting, but electronic security uh, is in there as well. So, with my presentation, I'll probably be I will be focusing on more of the uh, video monitoring than the access control. While we do use access control in a mall setting, it's more of the back room, the back of house stuff. Um, but we do a lot of video monitoring for the rest of the uh, the centers. So with that said, I wanted to kind of go into what is our primary objective with video surveillance or video monitoring. Um, and at the end of the day, it is just to be a safe place for our shoppers, right? We want our shoppers to come to our centers. We want them to spend money, walk around, have fun, and not have to worry, right? Uh, we want them to feel safe. We want to do everything in our power to give them a sense of security. So that's why we have a, um, this system in place in order to give that, uh, that sense of security or to be able to provide that security on top of it. Um, and it, you know, it's a layered approach. So it's not, just, um, it's not just we have cameras pointed at things and we're looking at them, right? We have to have a uh, security guard monitoring them, looking at them and being able to identify any risks that are going to there. Uh, you know, it's, as I focus on the technology side, I, I will be looking at that more. But um, we, we have this, this whole completeness around the video monitoring. Um, so one of the things, you know, we look for, and this is kind of going back to why we put it in, what we're putting in, how we're putting it in. We, wanna, we wanted to make sure we're getting the right technology for the right job, right? We want to make sure that we are getting the right um, uh, requirements for whatever we're doing. So for for example, we want to sit down with our national security team. We want to sit, sit down with the property team. We want to understand where they want coverage, why they want that coverage. What are we trying to accomplish? And I think that's an important piece of this is we don't just want to monitor everywhere. I mean, if if money was no object and we could, yeah, we'd monitor everywhere. But if we could if we could pinpoint the exact zones where we think it would be the most effective and then expand from there as we can, that would be uh that's the ideal situation, right? So we get good requirements around that. Uh we design the system and we make sure we get the right camera to the right job, right? Sometimes people say, oh, we should get uh pan tilt zoom cameras everywhere. Uh and and we can look all around. But then you know, if there's an incident happening or something questionable is happening, your camera may not be pointed in the right place. So make sure you're using the right camera for the right job. Make sure you're getting a 360. And, and this allows, again, that's the, the security team, the complete um, coverage to be able to identify things, to look for things, to monitor the right things uh, as they do their job, as they look at the center. Um, now, on top of that, we also have, uh, advanced security, um, or there are advanced security. And I know that um, uh, Thomas will probably go into a little bit more about this after me uh, in terms of, of what is, uh, what, what's going on and what, they, what they're using. We have dipped our toe in some of these advanced security features, right? There's, these cameras are getting smarter and smarter every year. For example, uh, we were looking at demographics and, um, and, and that was very interesting as we were looking at it, right? We have a camera looking at people walking by and being able to tell us what their uh, age is, what their gender is. And, you know, that, that seems like, you know, you know, a lot of, a lot of information that we couldn't 
typically get before. And for a marketing team, that's very interesting information. How do we market to better make sure the or, or merchandise the mall to better suit what's going on there? Unfortunately, as we went through it, when we did, it didn't give us a lot. The age was a little too uh, subjective, right? So it, it, it needs to take a lot of things into account, right? While it looked at the facial features, sometimes how someone dresses and, 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 and who they're with and gives you kind of more clues as to what their age is. So we, we didn't feel like it gave us a lot of accuracy, but I know it's getting better and better as we go along and we're going to probably see uh, leaps and bounds in terms of uh, better uh, technology in that area as, as uh, time moves on. Uh, gender, again, that one was accurate, but it gave us, it didn't give us a lot of information we didn't already know. So those are things we, again, dipped our toe in, um, weren't really, uh, it didn't give us what we needed. It didn't really fulfill any requirements we had. So it kind of went by the wayside, as well as um, we had to weigh that with the privacy aspects, which I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. Then um, on top of that, there are things like counting and op occupancy. And as, as uh, stores were reopening at the, you know, kind of at the uh, end of the lockdowns during the COVID era, this thing uh, was very hot, right? It, it was something that we could use our video monitoring to see how many people were in an area, see how many people were in a mall. Um, but with things changing so quickly, by the time, you know, we did all the research on it, those things were going away. Um, I mean, they're, they're still there a little bit here and there, but it wasn't such a high priority issue because we were able to find it in other ways or, um, or it wasn't necessary in those particular areas that we needed it. But like I said, these things are going to get better and better as we, as we move along. And um, they are, there are a lot of advanced features as you look at video monitoring that are, that are coming through. Um, finally, um, privacy. Um, I wanted to touch on this because reconciling privacy and video surveillance uh, or video monitoring is very tricky, right? This is very personal information, right? Someone's image. Um, and as a, as a mall company, as a management company, we try to avoid capturing any personal information data whenever possible. We don't typically need it, so we don't want to be put in a position where we're holding it. Um, the security of the center is what's paramount to us. So uh, we treat this data as one of our top tier data classification items so that it's, it's always kept very secure and it's only available to those that really need to see it or view it. Um, so, uh, this this also extends into the shopper counting systems. Um, we we do have shopper counting systems. There are a lot of those that are uh, camera based, and we we have one of those. But we also take care to not capture faces if we can in any kind of those video monitoring. Right, it's more automated video monitoring. It captures piece of people going in and out, and it allows you to see uh, who is uh, who's there. And, and uh, or gives us that occupancy, if you will, gives us how many people have come to the mall, something that's good for our, our metrics, our data to see how we're doing. But uh, generally speaking, um, again, we have to take care in placing those to make sure that it is um, not capturing people's faces and things like that. So that kind of sums up where we are with um, video monitoring, the privacy around it, and uh, you know how we put it in, what we do with it. I'll turn that, I'll bring Scott back for any questions he might have for me. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, thanks, Brian. And uh, always, always informative. Watched you many times over the years and you, you always have great information. So I appreciate that. And um, I think one, one question in, as you were presenting, and I, 
it's a little off script, but I'll, I'll circle back um, as well as I'm, I was curious, your, pe your people counter process and your camera security process are, are distinctly uh, separated, correct? You're not, you're not seeing a merge of those two systems kind of working hand in hand um, at this point, at least um, in, in your portfolio. Is that what I kind of took from yeah. your last on privacy? Yeah, that's true. And, and we looked at that. The, the issue with those are number one, uh, you know, again, going a little bit off topic, typically where you put your security cameras aren't the best place to get accurate counts of people in the mall. It may be good for an occupancy of a certain area, but that's why we opted to make sure that they were separate and used uh, independently. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So as you go through, um, you know, obviously every every mall um, uh, or every one of your assets is, is slightly different. How do you go about uh, keeping, because I'm assuming uh, there's a monitoring aspect across your portfolio, you know, how do you, who do you look to to business from a business partner perspective on, on security systems? Do you guys normalize around one vendor? Is it you know different vendors, different different malls, and there's certain open requirements? How do you how do you guys go about procuring? So there's there's a few things we do there. Um, first, we have a national security team that we partner with. So we're kind of the technology arm, right? So we do the installation. We help decide what's the best cameras to use, things like that. So we partner with our national security team and each property team. And the property team really knows the center well. They know where any potential hotspots are. They know what's going on there. They know that center like the back of their hand. The national security team really has the expertise on security, knows security backwards and forwards, knows what they want to do. So we kind of meet with both of those in conjunction to really get an idea of what we want to accomplish in the center. And then on the technology side, we try to use as much uh, we try to be consistent across the portfolio on the technologies that we use so that we're not running around trying to manage different things. Um, we have gotten that down to, I think, two or three different vendors, but we are trying to get that down to, um, you know, a single vendor for cameras, a single vendor for uh, the, the video surveillance portion. Interesting. And then, um, you know, kind of in that same pathway, and, and you touched on a little bit, do you have a specific process uh, from a security system design? Uh, you know, I, I know you mentioned that team kind of comes together. Is there uh, certainly the start of a process, but is there more specifics on that on that front? Or uh... we, Yeah, I mean, we, we do follow the process of, um, we, we've tried to put together a full justification package for everything we do, because you know, it can get real easy to say, let's add cameras everywhere. Because at the end of the day, it's great to have that coverage. Uh, it's great to be able to see every inch of the mall. Um, but un unfortunately, we're not, we don't have the money that Vegas does, um, which would be nice, right? To be able to get every backroom corridor and every corner nook and cranny of the mall monitored. But we get a justification package uh, with them all together that details what they're looking for, why they're looking for it. Um, if they have statistics of an incident that may have happened there, that's great to know. And then we we take that and then we we work with the national security team to say, in order to meet this needs, this is what we do. We go through that package with them. We all get together and then we put in the budget for it and it kind of goes goes up and then then we just go into the installation. So that's that's basically the process, uh, but we do make it a data-based approach because we, we don't want to just throw spaghetti at a wall and hope that we got the camera in the right place. We want to know that we're doing, uh, getting the best coverage we can for the best security that we can. Sure, yeah, fair enough. I appreciate, I appreciate both uh, um, both um, answers and, and, and open and 
Uh, anything else before I uh, kind of pivot to the next? Anything else on your mind from, uh, from the Q&A or that you want to share with the audience? No, but I'm sure I'll think of something for our, our panel talk later. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, hold off. Hold hold back for the for the panel discussion. So, Brian, get, thanks thanks a million. Appreciate your uh, your help and your participation on the on the, on the uh, presentation. Um, so next up, um, we have uh, Thomas Bradford. Thomas is a VP of Property Technologies, uh, which is as as we talked earlier uh, a few few days back is a is a great title. So uh, love it uh, with Heinz, uh, and and Heinz is just a small uh, real estate. Uh, group uh, that probably nobody's heard of. But anyway, uh, Thomas has been with Heinz for 28 years. Uh, Thomas is transforming from managing uh, the corporate operations group to the VP of property technologies at Heinz as things have started to pick up on the technology side. The company recognized that the property operation needed representation similar to the business tech, IT, and innovation group. So with that, I'll turn the presentation over to Thomas. Great, thank you, Scott. I do appreciate it and uh, appreciate the introduction. So, you know, Heinz, uh, we're in 255 cities in, in 27 countries. So we've got quite a bit of ground to cover. Uh, and, and within that, we have a lot of different uh, ownership entities. So that makes it further challenging to try to establish a standard. Uh, what I'm looking to cover today is a couple of basic points. One is um, a little little remedial in a sense, and then it's regarding an access control RFI request for information. But I thought that it would be helpful to go through some areas of consideration as you know we go through and looking at access control, and we all know the importance of access control to property technology. You know, to use a, a pun, it's a key. It's a key to getting digital transformation affected at your properties. It's, it's the found, one of the foundational pieces of making that happen. So I thought it would be good to cover that. And then uh, I wanna give an example of how we've leveraged in-place video. Um, again, uh, different than what Brian had relative to retail on the, on the office side. And there are some ways where we're trying to leverage so, uh, you know, um, tools that we already have along with the technology to get some informational feedback. So I'm gonna share that example with you guys. Whoops, let me go back. Okay, so the first thing on access control RFI is you wanna think about obviously the customer user interface and what the user experience is. We hear that term all over the place now, but user experience is, is definitely one you hear a lot. You know, so you know, the first thing we ask our, our providers or potential providers is how are you gonna engage with the access control platform? How is the user going to engage? Do they have to download an app? What number of steps are involved? For example, they, in most cases, have to turn on their Bluetooth. The app has to be running. Uh, what are the number of things that, are, again, are required to, to gain access? Um, what is the response time? You know, you may hear three seconds and say that's fast, but it's not. Um, that can drive people crazy. Uh, and, you know, we've tried some systems out that have taken a few seconds, some that have a delay and some that are more instantaneous. And um, there are some of the platforms that leverage multiple types of communication. Uh, so that's that's a really important piece. Um, and then it's, it's been mentioned before on this call already, but the visitor, uh, visitor access has, has been a challenge. You certainly don't want a visitor to have to download an application. Uh, there's the ability to use QR codes, which I think a lot of different applications are leveraging. So that's something that certainly needs to be asked about. And then we move on to connectivity protocols. You know, again, I mentioned Bluetooth connectivity. 
Uh, there are some that leverage just Bluetooth, some that look at Wi-Fi, uh, NFC, LTE. Uh, the NFC one's interesting because it's it's been more of an Android function for a while, but Apple's looking at adopting it more. So it's really, it's kind of that that point of keeping up with the technology to see where it all lands and what provides that best responsiveness time. Uh, again, what's the primary protocol? Is it Bluetooth? Is it Wi-Fi? What's your backup? Uh, so those are important things to, to consider. Next is, uh, again, something we're all aware of is what's, what about the security and the backend technology? Uh, is it fully cloud native? Are there any on-premises requirements? Uh, what's the credential provisioning system? Uh, what's the architecture? Uh, and what are the cybersecurity protocols that have to be followed? You know, I'm not going to pretend to be a cybersecurity expert. That's why we have our, uh, our information technology group, but we are very much uh, in sync and in lockstep with them to make sure that all along the way, cybersecurity is being addressed and being addressed to their satisfaction because we all know that's incredibly important. And that, that dovetails right in with what Brian was saying relative to, uh, um, to the privacy concerns. And then there's the good old operational contingencies. So um, one of the ones uh, was interesting when we were first doing some testing a few years back relative to the Bluetooth is if a mobile phone is lost or broken, would you be able to access via legacy cards? And then there's things like, you know, some people take their mobile phones to the restroom, some people don't. So if you don't have your mobile phone and you're trying to get back in your space, that's a problem. So these are some things that need to be thought through. And I know a lot of you have already done that, but it's interesting to really think about that. And I think where where that's really taken us is we realize that you need to have both. Um, and you need to really think through your tenants, what their needs are, and what's realistic. Uh, so, and then, and then the contingencies, as I mentioned, could be different for parking versus the lobby. A lot of cases, parking systems are different than access control systems. That's where some of the integrations can come into play down the road, but you certainly have to look at contingencies relative to the different access points. Okay. I think I have a little, oh, here we go, a little bit of a delay on the slides. Interoperability. Um, simply put, that's what, you know, one of the things we're all talking about is a tech stack. <clears throat> well, how does the, how will your access control system integrate across uh, different providers. I know that's something that's gonna be talked about a little bit later today is, is it non-proprietary? Is it open API? Uh, can it easily be integrated or, or is it more difficult? You know, there are some systems still out there that are, are on physical machines that reside at the property. So there's some, some challenges to be overcome, but I think is not, I think I know as you go forward, one of the major questions that needs to be answered is this, you know, how can it work and how will it work? How well will it work with other systems? You know, whether it's your, um, whether you're uh, syncing it up with your building um, work order system or whether you're trying to do it through a tenant engagement app, you need to make sure you understand that. And then uh, are there any other hardware or software requirements from an integration standpoint? And then lastly, yes, there is, Despite what we all hear about cloud, 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 um, at some point there are hardware requirements that exist on in your building, uh, and those could include sensors, certainly readers, um, who manufactures the hardware, um, understanding that if your 
network goes down, you need to have hardware that is reliable and runs at your building so that your access control still works despite potentially the internet or other sensors being down. Okay, so that's um, on the RFI uh, information for access control. I'm gonna shift gears over to um, access control strategy relative to existing cameras. And what I'm gonna describe is the, an elevator wait time project that, that we initiated back in January. We were able to get it done in about 90 days, which was pretty amazing. I was even surprised, but it was really a proof of concept so that we could we could see and understand that there is value in video that we're all already obtaining. And so what we did, we, we created a hypothesis. And, and as, as you guys know, when we, we, we thought we were first coming back to the office, we started to think and get a little anxious about elevators and how long are people gonna have to wait given that in most cases, you only are able to have four people per elevator. So we said, well, let's see if we can leverage the cameras that we already have, the on-premises digital cameras, Let's apply machine learning techniques to track and report on elevators in real time. And it's something that ultimately we can share with our tenants so they have an awareness of how long the elevator waiter times, waiting times are gonna be. Now I'm gonna walk through this really quickly, but I, I really wanna emphasize that we see this as way beyond what I'm gonna show you today in that we, we are starting to look at a ton of other use cases for the video we already have. For example, uh, video in the lobby and you have a security officer. Well, you can watch that security officer and see how many times they interact with tenants and how long they interact with tenants. Basically, you're, you can take video and, and come up with any scenario you want and these guys can program it into the video where it will acknowledge and recognize what that behavior is and translate it into data. So let me show you what we did <clears throat> um, specifically with this elevator wait time project. So this is a building in Houston, and we even challenged ourselves a little bit to where we wanted to have uh, uh, basically two elevator lobbies that were one on top of the other, which hopefully you can see here in the yellow. And uh, what hopefully you can also see in the screenshot is a, a red outline of the elevator lobby on the north side, and then a red outline of the elevator lobby on the south side. And what the software is doing is it's, it's recognizing each individual, uh, not their name, not who they are, but just that they're a person. And it knows that based on a lot of, uh, a lot of smarts. And it also understands that there's four people in one elevator lobby and four people in another. Now, the other cool thing and amazing thing is that it's, it's counting how long they're waiting. And so what you would see if I played this video forward is you would see that as individuals in the upper frame are getting onto the elevator, the count number goes down. As individuals are traveling from the lower zone to the upper zone, the number goes up. Uh, and then uh, it, it's just constantly uh, monitoring each individual and the amount of time that they're spending waiting for the elevator. All right, so ultimately that needs to translate into something. And although what I'm showing you is a little bit of a crude version, this is kind of a first version of it, it basically would, would show elevator wait times for a particular lobby for a particular time of day in a number of minutes. And we've actually leveraged this in, in real life in a building up in Chicago where tenants are able to go and see at any time for their elevator how long the wait is. Now, again, I think it's a cool solution for, for this elevator application. But with what I've seen they can do with video, I'm really 
very interested in um, what we can, what additional use cases we as an industry can come up with and we can look at and we can leverage because again, the cameras are there. Now you may choose to add some additional cameras for various reasons, but I think there's a, there's a, a lot to, 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 to mine, a lot of data to mine out there that's, that's already there. So um, I think that's, that's something to consider. So with that, Scott, I'll uh, open it up and see if you have any questions for me. I do, Thomas, and uh, a great presentation. I appreciate the, uh, you know, the, the details as well as the examples. I think it's, uh, it's always uh, great to see kind of what, what the real life examples of, of your hard work, uh, what you're able to do with them. So uh, on that front, um, so what other types of leverage points are you considering um, around video? I mean, obviously your elevator uh, lobby project was one, but you know, does that get the wheels spinning and you kind of have this think tank of what else can we do? You know, what, what are the other things you're considering and thinking through um, in your properties? Sure, there's, there's certainly pie in the sky ideas and then there's really focused on what is, what's low hanging fruit, what's near term. A couple of ideas, one I mentioned about security guard interaction with tenants. Another is um, we have a lot of retail operations in our lobby and you can see wait times for getting coffee or how are people aggregating. Really, really the, the technology is able to look at behaviors, understand what those behaviors mean and how they translate into information. And then with that information, how, to, how do we react to it? So I think um, on office retail, that's, that's an example. Another example is where um, based on what the video is seeing, it could send an alert out. So best way I can describe that is if somebody slips and falls in your lobby, the video will recognize that as a slip and fall mm -hmm. and will let somebody know that that's occurred. And it sounds a little little out there, a little Star Wars-ish, but it can, it can be pretty specific. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is on something that I think most of us have experienced is you have hours and hours and hours of security video throughout your building all night long and uh, eventually something's gonna happen and someone wants to review the security tape and they have to search through and watch all that video until they see what's going on. Well, technology is such now that the, the video, as it's going, being recorded, it's being analyzed for a number of different things. So think of it as searching your hard drive. You can mm -hmm. go in and query the video and say, I wanna see, um, video frames where somebody's wearing a red shirt and somebody's wearing a green backpack and it can go based on those parameters and find that video. So I think there's a lot to consider and a lot of leverage points with the technology, but we want to make it practical and, and realistic as we can, obviously. Sure. Now, those are great, uh, great examples and, and appreciate, uh, appreciate your work in that space and, uh, and, and, um, and the, uh, continue on. So I'm going to pivot because uh, we're running a little over. I want to try to steer this back on track, but I will pick up. Uh, I'm going to save the other questions I have for you until the panel discussion. And uh, Sounds good. So um, with that, the next, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to turn it over to Sarah for our next um, group's uh, video. Genie is a cloud-based software company 
and helps automate overtime HVAC requests. Our software physically plugs into the network of submeters and helps automate the reading of those submeters. And we also have access control. Our cloud-based solution physically plugs into your controllers and your readers and automates the adding and removing users, as well as now it enables you to use your phone as your credentialing device. Everything that we touch helps bring a better tenant experience without breaking the bank. That was great, and uh, look forward with that uh, to introduce our next next uh, guest uh, from Genia, Robert Vale. Robert is the VP of Business Development. Uh, he has over 20 years of experience in selling SaaS, online marketing, demographic, and research services that have helped real estate agents, brokers, and owners conduct their business more efficiently. With that, Robert, look forward to your presentation. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks for having us today. I appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who know Jania, uh, you may know, be asking, you know, why is Jania here today? Uh, you know us from our overtime HVAC business and our submeter billing uh, solution. And uh, a couple of years ago, we had an opportunity to really expand our overall product offering and, and make an acquisition and uh, get into the access control business. Um, and I'm going to walk through just a couple of reasons, you know, why, why did we get into the business, uh, what we think is unique about um, the solution, and overall, what should the commercial real estate industry be doing as you look at access control? So, so some of the things that we saw with, um, with access control that is on-prem in commercial real estate buildings all over the, all over the world really is you know, most of the legacy systems that are sitting down in a basement were really built for the tenants. They were built for enterprise. They weren't built for the uniqueness of commercial real estate. And as we know, with commercial real estate, you've got you know, buildings that have multiple tenants. The tenants need different data points. Um, just to have the data bifurcated by tenant is hugely important just for management of that. And most of the systems aren't built to support that. There's also a lot of manual processes when it comes to adding people to or removing people from an access control system uh, in commercial real estate. So oftentimes a work order comes from the tenant to the property manager. The property manager goes down to the basement, has to add somebody. A couple of days later, they give a card back. And it's just not a great process and it can be time consuming uh, to do that. Uh, we also see the, the process for removing credentials. Um, oftentimes there is no process. Um, and you know, I'll give you a real example of the building where we implemented our solution. Um, we exported the old database from their existing system. Uh, there are 4,500 active users. Well, there's only 1,200 people who work in the building. And when we asked the assistant property manager why, he said, I only get yelled at if people can't get into the building. Nobody tells me if they fire anybody or let anybody go. So we just don't take anybody out of the system, which now becomes a massive security risk for the site. Uh, we also see uh, the, the solutions, the hardware and the software across a portfolio of buildings is different everywhere. It's been managed differently, installed differently. Um, property management, as we all know, uh, change over on a regular basis. Buildings change hands. and That transfer of knowledge is not always great. And so people are trying to learn how to use a portion of the system uh, to, to manage physical security. Uh, most of the systems aren't, aren't also not built to support mobile. So as we go to a more touchless or just the ability to use your phone for everything, most of the systems out there are just not built to support that. So what, so what Jania did and what we recommend to anybody as you look at access control, whether you might go with our solution or anybody else, is one is you should be adopting a cloud-based access control solution um, and, it, and it allows you to do multiple things. One, um, it allows you to streamline the entire process for adding and removing uh, users across the entire portfolio of buildings. Um, the other thing you should really be looking at is purchasing a solution that is built upon non-proprietary hardware. 
Uh, so Genia, we partner with both HID and Mercury, the largest uh, manufacturers of, uh, of access control readers and controllers uh, in the industry. Uh, and the reason we think that's massively important is it puts the onus on the software provider to do a really good job and to take care of the customer base. Uh, if you're not, there's other solution providers out there you can switch. So you're not beholden to one vendor uh, for the eternity of the hold of that building. Uh, you should be able to make a change or put pressure on your vendors to provide really good service. Uh, the other big benefit of being on a cloud-based solution is, is integrations. Uh, the, the ability to integrate with multiple video camera systems like uh, Meraki or Tyco Cloud or Milestone. Uh, the solution should be able to integrate with visitor management solutions. So Thomas talked about it briefly. Uh, the ability to integrate with, a, say, an Envoy or a proxy click or to have a native uh, visitor management solution that works with the access control product uh, to be able to get people um, on-site, pre-registered, and physically through a site. Uh, the other really unique thing that should be uh, looked at is uh, service and support. The majority of issues with access control are, tip are software related. Um, and when you don't have that direct line of communication to the software manufacturer to get help, uh, it, can be, uh, it can be challenging, it can be frustrating for a property management team. Uh, so we recommend that you have 24-7 support, live chat, uh, a direct line of communication, not only to get help, but also to help on product development. Uh, some of the best ideas come from the actual users of the product to enhance the offering uh, so that it's a better fit for the uh, for the industry. Um, and then you should be able to remotely manage physical security from anywhere. I should be able to pull up my app, unlock a door, uh, add a user, uh, see activity logs uh, from my phone or from any portal. Uh, we should also be able to use one key to enter all facilities. The amount of times that we see property managers and engineers have a slew of keys, a big green, a uh, big chain of white HID cards uh, going to different buildings, that should go to it. You should be able to use one card to access everything, uh, which brings us to credentialing. Um, you should be able to support all forms of credential. Um, so meaning uh, if you have existing prox cards at the site that the building's been handing out for years, the access control system should be able to support those. If you have tenants that come in with a specific card format, like an HID corporate 1000 card, uh, the access control system should be able to support all that so that you're not burdening your tenants to have to change all their cards and go through that process, unless there's a security reason to do that. They should be able to support all forms of clickers, fobs, uh, and then have the ability to introduce mobile. Uh, so the ability to utilize your phone as your credential or a prox card. So Brian uh, and Thomas talked about that earlier is the ability to, what if you forget your phone, can you use your card? You should be able to be seamlessly to use that same credential, uh, those credentials to get on site. Uh, there should also be an integration with uh, with any um, platforms uh, that provide mobile credentials, whether it be HID Arigo or Wavelinks or any other solutions so that you don't have to manage multiple databases to get those credentials, uh, those mobile credentials in your phone and in the access control system. So it's super, it's super important in terms of managing that. Uh, in addition to that, for commercial office, uh, tenants should have their own portals where they can go and add their employees to the base building. Of course, with overview from the property management team, uh, but the ability to go in, uh, run their own reports to see which when employees are coming on site, add a user, uh, provision a mobile key if you want to do that, or even open up an integration to Azure or Active Directory, just really streamline the entire process of adding people and removing people from the base building access control system. Um, but the opening up those the, that portal uh, to the tenants really gets the tenants managing their own data so you don't have that situation where uh, there's people who haven't worked in the building for a decade but are still physically uh, have, have the ability to get into a site. Uh, that should all go away and you should be able to uh, sync up that data together. 
Uh, and then integrations. Uh, one of the big, big important things is in, is offering integrations to your tenants um, so that they can, you know, use their tech stack to get on site. So from provisioning with Google Workspace, Azure, Azure Active, Azure AD, Okta, so that way, once again, um, when a person um, is hired by one of your tenants, they can be automatically added to the base building access control system, provisioned a key, and more importantly, if they are fired or termed, they can be automatically removed from the access control system. So it streamlines the entire process. Uh, the tenant engagement acts, they're, they're, they're really important and they're, uh, they're being adopted by a lot of buildings. So the ability to uh, have, um, you know, the access control system integrate with HQO and Lane and SpaceOS or Rise, whichever systems are out there you're adopting from the building, you want to be able to have those integrations. For camera systems, you want a variety of ability to integrate with different cameras and VMSs. So whether it be Meraki or Tyco or Eagle Eye, whatever you use, you should be able to sync up that camera instance and the access control instance in one portal. So you can actually see that event that somebody badges in or there's a door held open event, something like that. And the notifications, you know, you can't just uh, rely on somebody running reports anymore to see when there's an access denied event. You should be able to get emails about that or notified through uh, Slack or Teams to a security channel uh, that there is a door held open event or uh, or something else is going on with the system and even provide a GIF from the video instance. Uh, so that's in the common ways that we communicate with each other uh, should be out of the box uh, integrations as well. And then the last part is bringing visitors on site. So it's one thing to get all the uh, the tenants back in the buildings, but now you got to also prepare to have visitors come on site. And uh, one of the ways that you should be looking at this is having the option for visitors to uh, to have a pre-registration where they can go through a series of COVID-related questionnaires, uh, have document signing available. So if you have a COVID-specific uh, waiver or uh, any non-disclosure agreements, have them sign that. Also have the ability to have them upload a photo of themselves and do this all before they come on site. And then even issue a QR code that can natively interact with the access control system. So that QR code can be a temporary credential, uh, allow somebody to get through a turnstile, through an elevator, and through specific doors. Uh, but that all should be documented and integrated automatically with the access control system. Uh, so it's one uniform way to track all this. Um, and then beyond that, you want advanced features, the ability to have a block list or a watch list. If you have you know, pushy salespeople who don't want to come on site, uh, the ability to kind of set those up, those parameters, but even open this up to the tenants so that the building requirements and the tenant requirements are in sync. Uh, and you're offering this as a tenants uh, to, as a way to get visitors on site safely. And with that, thank you very much. And Scott, if you have any questions for me. Looks like Scott may have accidentally dropped, so I'll just step in for now. Uh, thank you very much for your presentation, Robert. Very well done. I do have a couple of questions for you. Uh, why sure. should the industry be adopting access control solutions built on non-proprietary hardware? So wonderful, thank you. Uh, there's a couple of reasons why. One is uh, barrier to entry, right? If you want to put in a new software uh, to take over access control, you want it to work with some of the existing hardware that you've already invested, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars in. So the ability for us to take over a, an existing Linnell system, which is also a Mercury partner, leverage those hardware means you don't have to do a full rip from the place. Uh, the other big benefit is you're not beholden to one vendor forever. So if you have somebody who is using non-proprietary hardware, non-proprietary software, uh, and you want to make a change, it's going to cost you thousands upon thousands of dollars to fully rip and replace that. Uh, so it's massively important that you work with something that's non-proprietary, give you, give you the flexibility to change providers so that you're not stuck with somebody. That sounds great. All right. Um, 
I do have another question for you, but I think we'll just wait until we get to the panel discussion because we are a little over time and then um, bring in the next presenter. Um, thanks again Thank for your presentation, Robert. And with that, I'd like to introduce our next presenter, Roger. Um, Roger is a 35-year industry expert in electronic security and safety systems for buildings and institutions. As technology evolved and grew into today's world of active shooter events, Roger has dedicated his career to help educate building owners and security managers on ideas to elevate physical security around threat level management. Roger, thank you very much for joining us today and I will turn it over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, Scott. Great job. Uh, Brian and Robert. Uh, I'm Roger Rebenack with Jackson Controller. Our message today is really about, you've heard a common theme of software, licensing, technology, features, mobile. It's really about a backbone and standardizing on a platform. And our message is, why integrate our physical security access control, video surveillance into our total facility automation strategy? So we think there's a Quite a few benefits there for you. We're Jackson Control. We've been in business 50 years. We're based in the Midwest. We're a national presence in total building technologies, focusing around national accounts, multi-site uh, property management uh, companies and partners, and really playing in a master systems integration business as a, as a consultant and your controls consultant of record. Uh, our vision is to be premier leader as a consultant, as a technology engineering group, Solutions Design Center around facility management, intelligent buildings, and really just trying to bring some sense to all the technologies and the convergence of all these systems that are starting to come at us left and right throughout our building. So really, we're, I challenge you to take a facility management approach, step back away from systems for a moment, and think about platforms, think about standards, and think about how I can be, have a sustainable, outcome around all my building envelope, all my low voltage systems. So this is a, a good slide here on what the tenant, some of the tenant systems on the left and that some of the landlord property managers and owners have to deal with. One thing we all agree again is, is we're all being controlled by licensing. And the simple question is where do we want to place our investment as it relates to access control and video surveillance technologies in a commercial real estate property? With all the choices of access control, there's really not one answer that fits all buildings. This isn't like one of those baseball caps that will fit one size fits all. You have to sit back and really have a vision, a strategy. And I believe this, the, you know, what we've seen for a lot of success is when we standardize on an open platform like the Niagara framework. When you can standardize on something open, you have many choices. One thing we know is they're going to continue, technology is going to continue to evolve. It's going to be new card readers, it's going to be new hardware. There's going to be software guys coming out of the woodwork for analytics, for video, for energy management. And one, every building we have have a few things in common. You know, we all have to have an HVAC and control system. And that backbone goes in typically long before the security. So we think that there might be a challenge for everyone to think about all buildings are not created equal, and it really comes down to research and the technology, making a solid business decision, and a good approach as a trusted advisor, a master systems integrator, and really getting the stakeholders involved and develop a vision and a strategy to implement your plan. 
So it's for me, it's really not whether it's cloud or on-prem, it's about the individual building and application. And what we're seeing is a trend in intelligent buildings. Intelligent buildings start with, they are designed around the users. We've heard from uh, Maserich and Brian, we've heard from Scott, and we've heard from Thomas and Heinz, property management malls, a little bit different user, right? So how do we improve security, enhance comfort, try to you know keep an eye on our energy management and also have an enterprise-wide solution where everything communicates together, systems begin to share data, we have local and remote command control, whether it's in the cloud, whether it's on my phone, whether it's at from my house or my remote office. Can I see it from anywhere? Do I have multiple vendors? Is it affordable? And at the end of the day, does it add value? Where is, you know, buying security systems can be a little bit more emotional than a lot of times than buying, a, say, an HVAC control system. Where's your peace of mind after your research is done? And are you, are you looking at another system or are you standardizing on a platform? And before you move forward with that answer, you should ask yourself, what is proprietary and what is open system? So we know that proprietary systems lock owners into the life of the system. Typically you have one integrator, one vendor, my territory, my turf, different systems and different tools that don't talk together. We're going from an industry that was built in the 80s and 90s to where everything was proprietary, everybody had their own language, and there was no translator, there was no United Nations in this deal. It was single source, I can only buy it here. We really believe buying through open distribution is a key. Proprietary leads to costly service expansion. It limits your number of providers. We've heard several uh, speakers today talk about who's gonna install it, where am I gonna do it, am I a self-performer? It want to get away from limiting choice. Choice is the key here, and do not get, you know buy into anything that creates islands of automation. We're a real believer at Jackson Control on the Niagara framework because it gives you the freedom to choose, the freedom to choose your vendors, your providers, your protocols, and your hardware <clears throat> using one software tool. So notice the key is software. If there's any message from my presentation today that I want you to remember is software is the key and every software has licensing and software is never done. So you standardize on a piece of software that allows you to build your own application. Don't get tied into a proprietary user interface or a GUI. Make sure you own the programming tool. That is the secret. Do I own the tool or do I have to call you when I wanna make a change? when I add more buildings, when they come out with a new reader or camera, do I have to call you again to try to get an upgrade or get an obsolete piece of hardware removed? You can do this today with Niagara by standardizing on open, uh, open framework. Uh, there's other, you know, you see that happening with Microsoft Teams and Slack. Uh, Brian mentioned that and Thomas, I mean, that's a great example, but I think we would all agree, you know, having choice is really good. So what, why would we do this with there isn't any benefit? I heard some great comments around building information management, utilizing our access control data. You know, access control can do a lot more than unlock a door and tell you who went where when. It can create traffic patterns. It can help drive your occupancy and lower your energy management. It can help you provide a return on investment and by optimizing and utilizing these 
people counting and door control as part of your energy management strategy. You can operate, you save money by your operators and training. Think of the training the building owners have to go through with turnover, with access control, with video, with fire, with lighting, with you know video surveillance. And behind every one of those systems is a license and a software. That's how software companies make money. So play their game, own your software, and that's called framework. Framework is when you can build other software applications with because you own the tool. Elevate your security. Are there areas of facility that are not being utilized? This is another benefit of integrating BMS, building management systems and security. So we can get into video. Videos are, video systems today are the connected experience, cybersecurity being you know, one of the main objectives uh, out there that you gotta keep track of. Cost shifting, you know, I heard Brian talk about tenants and, and cost shifting. Many of my property management folks insource their card access. They take care of through their tenant connect desk. If I got a thousand buildings, I don't want a thousand alarm companies charging me to do remote management of my card. When I implemented my own framework, my own platform, and my access rides on the same backbone as my building automation. It's some really good hard savings in this model around labor, repairs, energy management. Uh, visibility, uh, you hear everything's about visibility today. Do I have access? What can I see and can I predict what the next big trend is? More alarm points. When you bring these together, a common alarm console now can tell you when it's too hot or cold and can tell you when I got a door propped open. There's a lot of flexibility in protecting and marrying these two systems. Something I've always thought was real interesting is there's two dynamics taking place in a building every day for safety and energy management. Energy management is simply when can I turn things off to save money not, that's not being used. And security is when can I arm things, lock things so that I'm safe and secure. These two dynamics fight each other every day. One's trying to turn off, one's trying to turn on. When you integrate that and share schedules and sell technolo share technologies and share uh, data analytics, you really start to see a lot of interesting success happen. Uh, so the value prop for owners and managers on why integrate physical security into building automation, it's low entry first cost. You'll have a full feature building automation system and you can bolt on your video and access control as you go forward. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, we've been trying to do this for 30 years. Well, until the internet came along, it was really difficult. This is not a new idea. We were doing it in the 90s and in the 80s, but we didn't have a common platform. The internet protocol, the cloud, you can have both and not have to worry about which is better. The ability to eliminate big third party uh, support, extend your framework, don't buy another system. Uh, Web-based tools eliminates the client server architecture. Thin client is good, means that, hey, I've got, a, I've got basically a gateway on the wall. It means all my modern day devices should be able to interact with this. We're talking about an interactive experience, not really, you know, a, a, an integrated experience, but an interactive experience. The ability to save on equipment, retrofit, ability to save a network uh, infrastructure. Lost my slide there for a second. Let's see, here we go. So guiding principles, uh, self-service can be a lower cost. 
I don't know if that's me or okay, here we go. Let's just get get to the to the to the meat of this. It's really about how do I create a standard, right? So so really it's not which system is better. It's really not whether it's cloud or on-prem. It's do you have a standard? Do you have a standard for all your technology in your building today? If you don't, you will get surprised with new technology of tomorrow. There's going, we know this, there's going to continue to be change. Changing readers, changing cameras, changing software, acquisitions, divestors. Create your own platform, choose a partner, form a team of internal and external experts. Construction, property management, facility management, the corporate energy manager. IT is, I mean, IT is not a luxury or a choice, it's a requirement. You have to get them involved early in these type of applications. Human resources, of, you know, real big in access control and video. Uh, invite manufacturers to speak. Research the industry. Niagara is, a, is the leading platform out there doing this today with multiple, multiple success stories. Uh, it's not, it's brand agnostic, so you don't have to get tied into Honeywell or Vicon or Distech or Johnson or Siemens. You can have all that and marry and integrate that into one. Uh, choose a master integrator. You can't do this with a single person. It takes a team to co-develop a master spec for security and building automation. Uh, roll out it, roll it out internally, standardize on your card access and alarm monitoring, and really start to see the benefits, you know, as they as they come forward. So I'm going to just try to get this. Uh, got a couple of slides here for examples. There's an example. Here's an example of a national map. I'm just going to go through these real quick. I know uh, we're running out of time there a little bit. Scott's back online, and my slides aren't really advancing. There they are. Uh, here's a dashboard of showing buildings in different regions and where your alarms are, where your doors may be triggered. Uh, you can take that another step further. Come on, Mr. Slide. There we go. Here's a single pane of glass. You can see at the bottom, we're monitoring filters. We're monitoring temperature, CO2, uh, UV lighting, ionization, really big today in healthy buildings for uh, you know post-COVID era. How can I bring in fresh air? How can I clean the air with bipolar ionization? Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of lot of uh, interest in that. So uh, I think my slides are are a little bit behind in a delay, but this was a fun one I did, and I'll end on this one uh, where they build the Indy 500 race cars. We went in there and we integrated all the systems. We made it an interactive uh, uh, experience. Uh, and if this slide would change, is <laughs> there we go. Uh, you can see the building, and you click the you can click the uh, toggle switches on the left, and you can go through uh, each each layer of this building. So I guess I'll just give these slides up because they don't seem to be working here. So there's your cameras and doors, and there's your cameras, and one more. I think we show our rooftops, our HVAC, and I think that is it. And really, my message is, you know, standardize on an open platform before you just buy another system. So, Scott, I think I finally got the slides caught up with with most of what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're all good. You're all good, Roger. And uh, you know, my apo my apologies uh, for dropping out, and, and thanks, Sarah, for for picking me up. Uh, unfortunately, we we had a windy day up here in the Midwest, and uh, she did a great job, Scott. She did a great job.
I, I figured she did. So, and and Ryder, just one quick question for you, and then I'll I'll bring up all the uh, uh, bring everybody back and kind of open up panel discussion and see where we go from here. Um, but question for you, and you know, obviously the the siloed approach in buildings has always been uh, the normal, and it's a tough conversation to have that security group and that energy group kind of combined sitting at the same table making those decisions. You know. How have you seen it? I, I know my experience in this space started 10, 15 years, 20, you know, you've been around a long time. You're not how, as old as me, but yeah. That is old, but I get it. How, how are you seeing the trends today? Are you seeing everybody open, um, kind of open-minded to that conversation of, hey, did you know security infrastructure can inform BMS infrastructure and, you know, the platform conversation around whether it's NAG or, or other, you know, uh, open protocol platform. Um, how is that being heard? I assume you're seeing a big, big uptick in the market, but I'm curious. Uh, I think it's, Scott, you couldn't ask a better question because you and I know, and everyone probably in this industry knows, uh, for many, many years, a tough challenge. You go to the security department, they're like, look, I don't want anybody in the HVAC facility side looking at my stuff or even logging in, right? And, I could, and there were a lot of good reasons why and vice versa. But I think what, you know, what you're seeing now and I'm seeing now is it's being more widely adopted because we now are all, uh, you know, we all have to play with the IT department, right? So if, I, if you look at the IT department, how they buy something, they create a standard. They decide what switches they want and they say, it's Cisco everywhere and nothing else, right? And they work a deal. So because they know those those switches are going to need upgrades, software maintenance patches. They know they want to have to see their cost of, you know, sustainability. So uh, it's it's very it's not the one size fits all. Not everybody wants to do this, right? Uh, but if you own a lot of buildings or manage a lot of buildings and you have an IT department, there's a lot of benefits to saying, you know, we're bringing these people together more and more every day in, this, in the universities and the schools where the facility director doesn't have 15, 20 guys to help him anymore. The security department doesn't have a guy at every door to keep track of things. It's that common alarm console is the key. And that common backbone that says, I usually say this, everybody's using Outlook in our company. But when I log into my computer, I can't see your emails and you can't see mine. But that IT guy has a great reason why he standardized on Outlook, IBM, Cisco, because he owns that infrastructure and that platform. And he knows it's going to change every year and he needs to be able to get these teams together. So I think IT is the glue and bringing the facility department, security department together for a common, really for a common success story. Right. And it is happening, Scott. It's happening like rapid fire right now. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's good. I, I would agree. So why don't we have everybody else kind of join us? I know we're, we're a little long, unfortunately, on presentations, but we'll, we'll do our best to, to make it as, uh, as interactive and thoughtful in the 25, 25 minutes about that we have left in, in panel discussion. And um, I think a couple of kind of a specific questions that I that I missed that I will, I'll catch up, catch up on, and then maybe we'll we'll kind of navigate into some larger topics that pull um, pull everybody because I'm I'm curious on the on the privacy space. Um, but Brian, first and foremost, we missed kind of your question, so I'm going to spin it back there. And um, 
when it comes to monitoring, what are your what are your thoughts on um, public view uh, and the public viewing that monitoring as well? And, and and I know it was a question that we had discussed before, so I'm curious uh, your your thoughts there. Yeah, so we have a we have a love hate relationship with those public view monitors. Um, I mean, it's great because it gives you it gives the public a view into hey, this is happening, right? We're, you're being recorded, right? It gives that hey, any nefarious people they aren't uh, they aren't going to do something because they're going to think twice because they see that. Um, although it it doesn't you know when you have an A class asset that is like an upscale mall, it it makes you feel like why do why do you need this? Is this something that makes you know could it could provide the opposite effect of making you feel more unsafe, right? So, um, so it's kind of this push and pull of, well, what's the risk of not having it versus what's the risk of having it? How are the, you know, shoppers going to feel? Um, so, and, and there's a cost to it, right? You have to, there's initial cost. So it, it kind of depends on the, you know, it depends on the person who's in charge of the effort, right? Do they feel like that's worth it or not? The executives. So we sit down, we have that conversation. I don't believe we've implemented any, but we've definitely thought about it because it can give that, it, it can go both ways. It can give that, hey, people are feel safe because they know they're being monitored, but people may not feel safe because they know they have to be monitored and they have to see it. So um, yeah. that's one of the things there. Got it. Fair enough. And it, it's that what's private, what's public, and, and how does that play? I think as as this whole space progresses, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go along, unfortunately. Exactly. Um, good. Um, and then uh, Thomas, uh, I missed this one as well, um, but what what do you see um, from an access control perspective, you guys? Uh, what, what's your biggest challenge right now from a from a Heinz perspective? What, what really, Scott? It's it's kind of the unknown uh, unknown unanswered questions, rather. So, biometrics has been talked about a lot, and yeah, I know for example, there's a building, uh, 22 Bishops Place over in London, and we all know GDPR is important over there. Well, they've launched a building that's full facial recognition to get access into the building. And if you really jump into facial recognition and understand it, you can see so many benefits. You don't have to have, uh, you know, things that, that, that turn styles, it's instant. Um, and, and then back to what Scott, you know, uh, Brian was talking about relative to privacy. I mean, you look at your iPhone and it's scanning you how many times a day. Um, I use Android, it's taking my fingerprint in my face how many times a day. So so to me, it's it's are we investing money into this Bluetooth technology, and are we going to turn around three years from now, and everyone, the public's going to all of a sudden be okay Good with point. facial recognition to where we're going to you know be reinvesting in that? So that to me is is one item uh, that's that's a challenging one. The um, let's see, and then the integration part, which we've talked a lot about, is you know, everyone gets the idea of integration. I think everyone gets the idea of, of open platform and non-proprietary, but I think what uh, what Roger mentioned at the end is is really you have to have a strategy and a plan. And that's what we're in the process of really working on is being, thinking as strategically as possible uh, and then executing on a plan that is as future-proof as it can be. Um, but those are the things that we're thinking about right now. Got it, yeah. That, I, I, Track you there, and, and I'm I'm curious on the uh, on the facial recognition and the touch environment, Robert. It kind of ties into the question I think we missed with you, and that's that in that touchless world. Um, 
and you know, I know you guys, you, you, in your slides, just before I cut out, you were showing phones and, and et cetera, which is a big, uh, a big improvement from, you know, from the card system. But do you see that progressing as, as Thomas, uh, Thomas mentioned? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when, when everything first shut down, right, everybody had kind of moved to, we can't touch anything. Uh, how do you make everything in the, in the buildings touchless so nobody's going to walk in and ever touch before again? And I think, you know, here we are a year and a half later. I think the, the reality is, is, uh, properties have started investing in technology to make uh, added convenience. Uh, so, you know, what's more convenient and, you know, utilizing your phone is a convenience factor. Uh, there's a cool factor, but the convenience factor of I use every use my phone for everything. Why can't I use it to get into the parking deck? Why can't I get it to use into the building? Um, you know, or if I'm a property manager and I'm working from home, can I use my phone to unlock a door for somebody uh, instead of having to physically be on site or make a change? And so the, the you know, the, the evolution of the technology has forced people to kind of invest in this stuff to make it you know, as an added convenience. Uh, so that's been a big benefit. Um, and then the integration point, you know, to what you guys were talking about earlier is, is becoming a bigger deal. Um, you know, to, you know, Thomas said alone is, you know, you've got to really figure out how these integrations work, but what's the overall benefit to the integrations? Like we get asked all the time to integrate into other software applications. And, you know, I, we have to look at the end user and what's the actual business case to say, does this integration even make sense? I don't want to integrate for integration sake. Like, is there a practical use for this? Um, so those are things that we get challenged with on a regular basis, but. That's, uh, but the, yeah. the touch thing's been a, been an interesting evolution in the last year and a half. So, uh, hey, hey, Robert, this is Roger. I, I bet you and Thomas and, and have heard this one. Well, company doesn't pay for my phone, so why would I put a card credential on my phone, right? And I think it gets back to what uh, Thomas said: is you got to have multi-class. You got to be able to say, okay, you get a card. Which one? It's got to be a preference and a in a in a choice because. Remember, choice is good, and and really integration, you know, is a word that I think's been way overused. You know, that you need to define what integration is. It's yeah. for me, it really starts with the end user and designing an interactive experience, and and then just working backwards to that, right? But if you don't, yeah. you get to the middleware, and your middleware doesn't talk to all your systems in the building, then you're either on one side of the house or the other, uh, and you know that's just not an intelligent building <laughs> so yep yeah every week we get together as a group and we say okay what what are we building what are we integrating what and then ultimately like what's the end use and uh, does this fit the entire customer base or is it just for one particular use case and one customer uh, but we have to factor that in before we, we really spend the time and, and invest the dollars yeah. i thought when bluetooth mobile came out that no one would ever buy another card and I cannot believe how many people still want a card, right? I'm like, nobody will ever buy cards again. This is the greatest, and it's probably the most <laughs> secure. I mean, we all know cards have been cloned. Cards have been copied. I mean, they've been way overused and really, you know, deployed in a very unsecure manner, right? Yeah, like for yeah. four bucks, you can buy a card cloner. So, and so in, in, in I'm curious, Brian and, and Thomas, maybe you guys can chime in because I, I – um, Absolutely. On the technology side, I, I'm curious how you guys are handling, and, and we're certainly way out, a little bit off topic, but I think important, um, the strategy piece, the, the you know, do you guys each, I know, Thomas, you mentioned, Heinz, you're developing that smart building. Uh, you know, for me, it's it's not really a spec, it's a, it's a standard that you, you prescribe to corporate-wide because it's, you're not, in this, you don't know what the specifics are, which is, you know, I think, aligns with a specification from in my world of construction but i'm assuming you guys are working on or have some kind of guiding principle in this space 
and, and it's an ever-changing document, but I'm, I'm curious what that looks like for each of your organizations. Um, and is it an internal or is it internal informed by, you know, vendors and, and experts in the space like Robert and Roger? Well, you know, for Heinz, it's kind of all of the above. And we have an information technology group, of course. We have a business technology group, an innovation group. Uh, and then we have representation on the property operation side, which is what my role is now involved in. And it's, it's a true collaboration, overused term, but it is absolutely a true collaboration. And then we, are, we have a number of initiatives underway. One with Intelligent Buildings is an example where we use them in, as a digital consultant to work on a project and we're gonna learn as much as we can about what the use cases are. You know, kind of what Brian talked about at the beginning, you know, what, why are we doing this? What's the point, what's the end goal? Right. And then we're gonna see how, how the integrations go. And you know, one of the things that, you know, from Heinz standpoint, we have disparate ownerships. So we can't really come out with one standard and this is what you do. But I think the strategy is different. I think we can come up with a strategy that's what we're working towards. That may end up in looking like uh, multiple vendors or, or a handful of vendors in each area, but that doesn't, it doesn't lessen the need you know, for a strategy. Mm -hmm. So that's really how we're approaching it right now. And, and, and there's still a lot to learn. You know, we, we don't have it all figured out, nobody does, uh, but we're, we're all trying to figure out what's the best way to structure how we move forward in the smartest way possible. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not one to uh, looking at, you know, some of these Star Wars type Jetsons buildings where your coffee is ready for you at a certain temperature when you walk in your desk. I, I think somewhere in between that and what we have today is, is really where we need to be. Um, nobody wants to overspend or overdo it, but I think that's where some people are headed. But I think that if we can, if we can be, you know, to use the term smart about this and strategic about it, I think we've got our you know, the, the ability to, you know, really make a sea change in, you know, how we manage our buildings. Yeah. And from yeah. the uh, main street side, it's, it's a little similar in that we have, a, we have a strong base. We, we know what we do in terms of our, our base of all the intelligent building things we do. And it's, it's pretty um, basic in a lot of ways, but we're always looking for that next step. But we like, like Thomas said, we're not, we're also not looking for that, you know, that, perfect Jetsons integration thing. Um, but we do like one of the things we do, and Sarah, here's a plug for Realcom coming up in the beginning of November. We'll go there. We'll meet with um, a bunch of different vendors. We'll understand where the industry is going and we'll start pushing that up the hill so that we can get buy off from our partners exactly. to, to do some interesting exactly. things. Sure. And I'm, I'm assuming both of you guys and, and kind of tying into what Roger spoke about, you know, have that IT, at least IT strategy that that ultimately can grow as the needs, um, as that's the needs, the that, that's more the, I'll call it the foundation, uh, which yep. in my world was always concrete and steel and uh, it's changed now to foundational from, from an IT perspective. Yeah. And if you're building that way, you're, you're missing the mark. Right. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, oh, you know, one last, I'm sorry, one last thing is, We've talked about 50% of the time, we've talked about edge devices, mobile, biometrics, cameras. It's 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 the middleware is separating, mm -hmm. right? It's going edge to cloud, edge to the analytics, and it's data sharing, right? And data, but we know there's gonna be new readers. We know there's gonna be new cards and edge devices. How can I plan, like Thomas said, what's my strategy when all these manufacturers keep coming with the next big thing? 
And how could I not rip out, like Robert said, the old stuff, right? And there's some migration path there that, you know, and again, it, it starts with the stuff that Brian does. If you don't maximize the infrastructure and ride on his backbone, you know, you get stuck with hardware and, and outdated software. So it's mm -hmm. actually, I, I think it's a, you know, a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Two quick questions from the audience that uh, came up, uh, one for Brian, one for Thomas, and then maybe we can die, take this conversation uh, a little bit into that tenant to uh, tenant to landlord kind of privacy in this, this world a little bit and kind of wrap up there. But um, for Brian, you talked about people counting and the question from the audience was, um, is that system integrating with BAS and IAQ control and energy for optimization or is that just really a standalone um, not that either are wrong, but have you gone that right? No, that's a great question. And, and, um, we have looked at, we have looked at that right now. It's not, but it is something that we are looking at. Um, I think it originally, uh, originated with, um, Wi-Fi data, right? When, when enough people, that was a way to track people coming in the building where they were in the building. So you could see that. Um, and it's something we're talking about how to either get the Wi-Fi data so we can get exact placement versus the people counting where they're how many people are in the building. Um, those are two areas. Um, we are weighing that with privacy, right? Because if we're tracking people, then there's a whole nother level of privacy that goes in there. So that's the, that's the tug of war we're playing uh, constantly with is, is it worth the privacy impact that we could be uh, getting into? But right now it's not. Fair enough. Um, and then Thomas, for you, um, and it was specifically around your elevator um, wait time project. What, how do you see that useful to your occupants? I think I think you somewhat hit on it, but uh, you know I don't know if um, you want to expand on that question. But you know how do, how does that environment and that in that situation help that particular tenant occupant group? Um, you know, if you want to. Yep. The initial, um, when we knew going into it, and we even, we even outright said it, we, we don't see this as a long-term need, but we see it as an opportunity to be able to demonstrate to our operations team how you can leverage what you already have with technology. So we went in with open eyes on that. Uh, in terms of the, the intent behind it was that as, as, as tenants started to come back, and we were at the point where we felt there was going to be kind of a rush of tenants back, uh, we weren't quite sure when we were going to be able to pull the plug, so to speak, on the four people per elevator. So the, the, the use case was really that as we got more and more information and as we started to see that there were times where uh, elevator wait times were increasing, then tenants and employees could make a choice to stagger when they came into the building. So that was the base level premise of it. But we, we knew going in that we really wanted to be able to demonstrate what the technology could do and now we're in conversations with what other use cases could we you know, bring into play. Um, and the nice thing about at least the, the group we've worked with is you're, you're basically paying to have a device on-prem that's connected to your cameras and you pay a monthly fee for that. But the number of use cases you can apply to that are really unlimited. So um, the more you engage in terms of use cases, the more you're able to leverage that technology so hopefully that answers that question yeah that's a i, I think it did and, and it, i think it goes back to and, and i think you you kind of alluded on it with the cost of um of this cover this conversation in general like you know when you're when you have a technology that you're going to put in place anyway and now you're leveraging it to do more 
um, you know, this conversation uh, around integration smart building because I think it's always it's it's always accompanied with well that's too expensive, and I always yeah. try to write back to say guys most of most systems in any building that we're doing any re real estate venture that we have we have the systems that are smart it's that middle ground pulling it all together um, and understanding that process from owner to you know base contractor that knowledge base and that through throughput if we all understood it, the cost, this conversation isn't a cost add. Uh, it's typically a, a value savings because we're, we're able to leverage our buildings for more data. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, hopefully that, I'm on my soapbox and I, I apologize. <laughs> you know, it's, here's the thing, you're paying for all those systems individually. That's and right. if, if you run one backbone, you're running wire, you know, here comes the video guy, runs all his wire. Here yeah. comes the other access guy, runs all, right down the same hallway, lifts lifts the same ceiling tiles. That's yeah. here comes the building automation guy. You know, here comes the fire alarm guy. And it's like, what if I had one guy build my do all my cabling, all my infrastructure, and I had that all my, you know, they're all working together. Brian's hanging his readers, and we're doing the middleware, and you know, everybody's playing around Brian's platform right and yeah. then thomas something i wanted to just throw at you and, and probably you scott with your construction background is the elevator industry seems to be you know still pretty it's all about me schindler otis thighs and krupp you know you might get a can can protocol you know an automotive can protocol out of them but they're all going to the kiosk touchless kiosk you know wave your card and the elevator comes to me and and you know destination I'd really like to see that elevator industry, you know, embrace protocols that are open like BACnet, Modbus, things like that, so that other weekend formats, so that we can, you know, well, it seems like all of us, yeah, and I, a, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, we, I mean, it, I think it takes guys like, it's a combination. It takes guys like Brian and, and Thomas who are buying across the board and asking for those that, that information that, at least that's my experience coming from the, uh, Kind of their seat, if you will. When you have when you have the power to to be able to make those those decisions, sometimes you can you can force some of those integrations. But yeah, if everything yeah. had back yeah, we're we're seeing the well, the end users are forcing a lot of these things to happen. So as a software provider, yeah, you know, we're regularly asked, okay, I need you to integrate with the elevators. I want to be able to see what happens when somebody pushes a button to track what course did they go to. Um, you know, and so we're actually leveraging a lot of the, the Mercury hardware that uh, there's a panel that actually talks BACnet. So because we're one of the only companies that can do HVAC, do BACnet and access control. And so we're taking we're leveraging our multiple technologies to bring it together uh, to say, OK, how can we how can we really create a a software solution right. that handles all these different use cases? Yeah. yeah, the guy at Mercury that did that was the guy from from Tritium with Niagara Framework. <laughs> all right. <laughs> So, real quick in the last uh, couple minutes, because I know I've, I've been circumventing this, but um, you know, the point of the panel was lobbies uh, to tenant, um, and so this conversation kind of gets gets muddied up with, you know, I'll, I'll say common space to that particular tenant. And uh, Thomas, Brian, I'll, I'll start with you guys. Like, how, how often do you see that integration of? you know, a core building system to a specific tenant in a multi-tenant. I know, Brian, you know, probably 50, 50 tenants in your mall. I mean, are those tenants standalone? Their systems are alone. Are you seeing them integrated and using using building systems as well? Um, 
what are you guys seeing now? Yeah, we're we're seeing more and more um, integration with with some tenants on the uh, energy management side, um, especially not really on the um, integrate, not really on the um, access to control as much. Yeah. But um, and then we also partner with them on video monitoring because th there's that fine line of hey, are you going to see our video? Or are you, we going to see your video? And and you know there's there's this like uh, you know headbutting a little bit there where they want their video and we're like well you can't shoot into our common area and so there's those discussions that happen all the time um, not a lot of integration there but a lot of discussion a lot of uh, yeah. understanding there but on the energy side we are uh, integrating our systems on a kind of on a smart building way sweet interesting fair enough yeah. So on our side, I want to draw what I think is a very, very important distinction. To answer your question, we are seeing a, a lot of activity in the area where tenants are developing their own apps, their own internal apps. They want to be go from the building in Chicago to Atlanta to Houston and have their app, and they want to integrate with whatever the building has. They don't want an engagement app. Okay, so that, that's, so that absolutely is a reality, and we need to be building our platforms and our, our strategies with that in mind. Secondly, is relative to the elevator and even the BAS comment. Uh, you know, we talk, we've talked so much about integration that I think sometimes we got to be careful that we distinguish between integration and information. You know, it's one thing to be able to provide feedback to a smartphone about where an elevator is, or the ability to mimic a call button. But I don't want any part of my tenant's IoT device being able to impact the operations of the elevator. Yeah. You know, or or potentially shut down that. And and yes, it's an obvious cybersecurity thing. But I, I think you know we 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 when we talk integration, we need to think about information sharing versus true integration. So yeah, good, good point. So I like that. Unfortunately, I, like I, I, I want to hear from Robert and Roger, but uh, we are out of time. So uh, we got a minute left. And Sarah, I I know you need to you need to wrap this up. But thank you all for. Uh, very great, great conversation and great participation. So, Sarah. Thank you, Scott, and thanks to the panelists. Really appreciate you sharing your insights with the community. And thanks to Brian for the nice plug for Realcom. I hope that you guys will join us. I know that um, Brian and Thomas will be there. So we'll be in um, Scottsdale in Arizona this year. And starting on Sunday the 31st, we'll have a few fun events planned that day. And then on Monday, we have our pre-conference day with the Cybersecurity Forum, the Intelligent Buildings Bootcamp, and also a number of other events going on that day. And then the main conference day will be on the 2nd of November and the 3rd of November. So hopefully we'll see you there. And then we also have a number of exciting new webinar series coming up. So um, just check on our website, girlcom.com to um, see what's new um, coming up in the next quarter. Really looking forward to it. And with that, I want to wish everyone a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you guys. See you. Thanks, Al. Great work.